0: Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions.
1: Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin. I have a question regarding PMI. That after living there for a year, I rented the house out. Will this PMI removal affect my interest rate?
0: And provides unbiased answers.
2: Uh, it's a great question. And the answer would be, it depends on your loan, your lender. You may be able to get that removed with an appraisal. Invest Talk.
0: Over 32 million downloads and counting.
2: I'm in my mid-30s and have been pretty burnout out at work.
3: So over the past couple of years of realizing that, I've started saving about 50% of my income, and aiming
0: to quit in the 10 to 15 years. Your participation makes it unique.
4: 888-99-SHARK This podcast is produced by... KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
2: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, July 7th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. Thank you all for tuning in this hour. And as you look, Around the country, temperatures are rising in many states now and that means summer is here. I know it's uh, it's beautiful down here uh, in Laguna Beach where I am and I hope it's uh, it's opening up for you uh, weather-wise and as we move into the back half of the year, uh, there are important trend changes that need to be taken to, into account and that's what I'm here to help you with is to make Good decisions with your money, both on the investment side, spending side, saving side. And I'm going to operate this hour with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So when I talk about a stock, a sector, a strategy, whatever it is, I'm here to present it all without bias and give you the facts that I see in front of me, as well as using my perspective of 20 plus years of investment experience. Now I'm Justin Klein and of course we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions and when you do that you get to shape this show to your liking. I can talk about whatever is on my mind, but ultimately what matters to you is most important. And that's why we take your calls either live during our 4 to 5 Pacific time live stream program or after hours. You can leave a question on our anytime voice bank. Either way the number is always eight 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 nine nine chart. That's 888-992-4278. Now let's head over to Indianapolis for our first call, and it's actually a live call, and it's going to be Zach from Indianapolis, he and he's looking at it looks like Take Two Interactive.
3: Yep. I was wondering if they are um, sitting at a good price to sell. Um, I have about twenty one shares at an average cost of about a hundred dollars have held them for over a year now, but just curious if you think now's a good time to get out of that investment or if I should just keep holding um, or buy more.
2: Okay. Well, you're over a year. Is this in a taxable account or an untaxable account? uh, Sorry, what was that? Is this in a taxable account or a tax-deferred account, like an IRA? Uh,
3: It's just just in my uh, Robinhood account, so it's um, all after tax.
2: Got it. Okay. So uh, over a year, so you have that long-term capital gains rate, so that's a good good thing. Uh, But let's look at the expected earnings going forward. Now, this year, they're only supposed to make $4.74, same next year. So flat earnings growth expected for 2022. But in 2023, earnings are expected to go up 49% to $7.04. I would really want to dive into why that's actually going to happen. If that's true, is that just a one-time bump, uh, or is that uh, the start of maybe a strong growth trend in their profitability? So uh, that would be interesting to me. Now, Take Two Interactive—they own Rockstar Games and 2K, so they are the publisher of titles like Grand Theft Auto and NBA 2K. Along with uh, some other smaller names, but those are their two main, most well-known uh, game titles. A market cap about 21 billion. Their free cash flow trailing 12 months is about 843 billion. So that's that's uh, a solid cash flow profitability. Now the big question is, what are they doing with it? it looks like so far they're not buying back shares because share count keeps going up, and they're just reinvesting in, in their business. Their balance sheet is good. Long term profitability is solid. Uh, so I don't really have a big issue with the valuation. I wouldn't say it's overvalued or undervalued. Current enterprise value to EBITDA is around 19, which it's traded as high as 48 and over the last 10 years and as low as two in 2014, two times. Uh, so it's kind of in the middle. So I wouldn't say it's, uh, once again, drastically overvalued or undervalued. Now, technically, it's below all the major moving averages, and that's what worries me the most. And it looks like a pretty decent head-and-shoulders pattern here. Uh, and now, that hasn't triggered. You don't want to act just simply on that. But the technical aspect is is fairly mixed, and that would be my biggest worry here. The fundamentals of the company are, are solid. They're sound. Their profitability is good. Their cash flow is good. The valuation isn't stretched. Um, but technicals look relatively weak. So what I would do is... I would take your initial position off the table uh, and then have a trailing stop of the 100-week moving average, which right now is at about 153 and change. All right?
3: Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for the call, Zach. Zach. Now, my focus point today concerns the question, do warning signs for the global economy indicate central banks will be put into an impossible situation? This is an article from Noriel Rubini, and I will say he is consistently uh, critical of monetary policy and the direction of the global economy. Uh, But he does point to some interesting parallels to the 1970s, for example, and a mix of loose economic policies and negative supply shocks shocks that threatened to fuel inflation rather than deflation. So we're going to break out his argument for why he thinks we're entering a 1970s-style stagflation. So that's what's on my mind today, but ultimately I want to know what is on your mind. And I'm going to dig into the market uh, right now. And you saw the S&P was up 14 points. Modest update on the S&P. And it was weak most of the day. But then you had the, the, the uh, minutes from the last Federal Reserve meeting. And that gave a bit of a boost to the overall market. <clears throat> Basically, the sentiment was that the progress towards a tapering was continuing. And maybe tapering is going to be pulled a bit forward than previously expected, but we're not there yet is basically what they said. And that's really the issue uh, is what is, what's the Fed going to do? Uh, And the market liked their plan or their lack of plan to cut. Uh, their their stimulus and cut their uh, QE, and I think that is a bit misguided uh, because I do think based on the economic numbers that come in came in the jobs number you're gonna get another good jobs number for the month of July. We just talked ta- I've been talking about that for a couple of months now that the jobs numbers are gonna look good because the unemployment benefits are rolling off and more and more people are going to have to go get jobs. And so the jobs numbers are going to look good, especially going into the uh, the uh, Jackson Hole meeting at the end of August. And that will probably bring some sort of tapering and a catalyst for a potential market sell-off. Now we're heading into a break. On the other side, I will welcome your live calls on the Invest Talk anytime listener line. So get your questions answered at 888-99-CHART.
0: If you have a time-sensitive question for Steve or Justin, and you want to move higher in the queue, let them know by expressing your confidence in Invest Talk with a five-star rating review. Just include a brief question within your five-star comments. Your five-star rating raises the podcast profile and helps others discover the program. So download, listen, review, and rate Invest Talk eight 888- eight eight. 99 chart
3: hello guys uh, my name is Preet. i'm calling from washington i'm calling uh in regards uh, to paychecks i use paychecks to process up payroll in my small business i think they're a great company i've been looking at it for a while and the price keeps going up they keep getting a little bit more expensive but with the upcoming hiring boom I think paychecks can benefit from that and I can see their earnings going up. So if you can please look at the stock for me let me know what good my point would be, I'd greatly appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the great
2: show. All right. He's looking at paychecks, and we use paychecks as well. And as more people are hired, that means more payroll to be processed, more fees for paychecks. On top of that, the demand for payroll services and HR services continues to go up so it's not just about hiring people as much anymore but it also is what other type of benefits are you offering such as 401k which paycheck offers so These are services, uh, we use Paychex for our our 401k, it's a a decent platform, allows us to have a self-directed brokerage account, etc., but they get some fees from us, so uh, if more and more people are getting hired and more people are getting 401ks, uh, then they're going to earn higher fees. Now, the big question is, has a lot of that expectation been priced in now that the... The stock has rallied from a high 40s back uh, around the pandemic level. Now we're at $109.81 at the close today, 52-week high. Uh, So let's look at some of the the numbers. Expected earnings for this year, $3.04, $3.38 next year, and $3.58 the following year. 2.4% dividend yield, so decent dividend uh, the cash flow trailing 12 months, about $1.1 billion, on a market cap of $39 billion. You have about a 3% free cash flow yield there. They have a solid balance sheet. It's actually the cleanest it's been over the last decade from a leverage standpoint, so that's good. And return equity has consistently been in the low, uh, to low 30s to low 40s, uh, so averaging about 40% over the past decade, which is very, very strong. So that's positive. The fact that they are consistently earning a high return on equity uh, is is a good thing. And their dividends have been increasing consistently from $1.24 in 2011 to $2.48, trailing 12 months. Now, that uh, hasn't grown, uh, but certainly that has a lot to do with the pandemic. Now, their payout ratio is pushing up against uh, the ceiling, about 83%. And, but that's, it's been that way for a while. It's not like, uh, they just got to that level. So it is high compared to, uh, most, most companies, but they've sustained that for an extended period of time and they have a fairly clean balance sheet. So I don't think that dividend is in, is in, uh, peril. Now enterprise value to EBITDA is at about 23 times. And that's really the biggest issue here is the, are the multiples are pretty stretched. And so, from a month, momentum standpoint, from a long-term profitability standpoint, they are a sound company. Those things are pointing in the right direction, balance sheet, etc. The The toughest thing is valuation. It's really going to have to grow its earnings and EBITDA uh, dramatically going forward to grow into this, this these multiples. It has not, let's see if it's ever traded at multiples this high. Yeah, the last time it traded at multiples this high was in 2005 and it was at 68 times enterprise value to EBITDA at 68 times back in the tech bubble, uh, which obviously was an extreme uh, sentiment there. So uh, it is expensive, not the most expensive it's ever been. Uh, the momentum is strong, so if you're trying to pay, play the reopening and the hiring craze, this is a good way to do it, but from a long-term buy-and-hold perspective, it's just a bit too expensive for me. Now, my focus point today concerns uh this question uh oh, oh did we get to that what are we going to head to oh yeah we're going to talk about the focus point today which once again is in regards to an article about from noriel Rabini, and he is warning that today's extremely loose monetary and fiscal policies combined with supply shocks could result in 1970s stagflation. Talk about debt ratios and advanced economies that are even, are much, much higher than 2000, sorry, than the 1970s. And he sees stagflation being associated with a debt crisis as well, even though they historically have not been associated together. Uh, now that is my biggest argument with him is, you know, how do you get a debt crisis, which is naturally deflationary along with massive inflation? Uh, unless supply shock, shocks continue uh, ad nauseum, uh, so I'm going to dig into this a little bit more and go over what parts of his argument I relatively agree with and where I disagree. Because you know, you you really have to you can't just read an article, of someone's opinion, and even though they're well respected, like Norio Rubini and take it like they're uh, like it's gospel but understand it in context to broader situation can help you really uh, hone in on the right strategy, not just today, but over the next decade plus. So I'm going to finish this story after the break. And you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. So we'll have finance and investment questions on the other side of this break. That's why we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. The 4th of July
0: has come and gone, but as we move through summer, you'll want to need unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. You've come to the right place. Talk. 888-99-CHART.
2: Now before the break, I touched on an article by Noriel Rabin that was just recently published in The Guardian, and I want to break down his arguments, and some of them I agree with, some of them I don't, and this is important because there's a lot of very doom and gloom articles out there, and, and he's kind of Dr. Doctor, doctor doom and gloom. Uh, now, what he speaks about is that the debt ratios in advanced economies and even emerging markets are were much lower back in the 70s when the last time we had a stagflationary environment. and he sees unexpected inflation in the 1970s that wiped out the real value of nominal debts at fixed rates and basically saying that in the 70s when inflation picked up dramatically that was actually good for a lot of banks and in the financial system as a whole because on a nominal basis you basically inflated that debt away now this is what I've been saying to, to a lot of people is this is what the government's plan is this is this is what the, the, it's easier to deal with an in inflationary Impulse when people's uh, valuations of their homes and uh, th- their stocks uh, for the most part and their incomes are going up along with that inflation, then some sort of deflationary spiral that brings down home values and asset values and, and incomes and increases unemployment, et etc. Uh, that's a lot more politically difficult to deal with. And so uh, and politicians learned that back in 2007 and 2008. And, and so right now we're kind of getting the inverse of that. And, and, and they continue to go to extreme levels. And that's kind of what he speaks about is that uh, these, the warning signs, in his mind, are, are everywhere. That price-to-earnings ratios are high, low equity risk premia, inflated housing and tech stocks, irrational exuberance around SPACs, cryptocurrencies, high-yield debt, uh, collateralized loan obligations, private equity, meme stocks, etc. So he sees that as that frothiness. But he says debts are much higher than they were in the 70s and that compli- compli- combined, excuse me, with negative supply shocks threatened to fuel inflation rather than deflation, setting the stage for the mother of stagflationary debt crisis over the next few years. That's uh, the quote in this article. Now he says, the same loose policies that were feeding asset bubbles will continue to drive consumer price inflation, creating the conditions for stagflation whenever the next negative supply shocks arrive. And that's really the thing here is he's speaking about renew protectionism, demographic aging here in the U.S. and across many advanced and emerging economies like China, immigration restrictions, uh, reshoring and manufacturing to high-cost re- regions like here in the United States, which uh, I don't think is, is going to happen. Uh, that dramatically and balkanization of global supply chains meaning that supply chains are going to shift there's going to be assets that are that are abandoned Uh, they're going to be more regional as opposed to global and that's all, all all those factors are going to drive up the negative supply shock so the cost of manufacturing and producing goods and services throughout the world he also sees china and america decoupling uh, in in a time of climate change, uh, increasing cyber attacks. so he, he kind of points to all of the, the the negatives that are going on in the world, inequality, etc. he doesn't speak about uh, technological advances, medical advances, uh, et etc. and and there's there's you have to always look at the good and the bad. in his article, he does not speak about the 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 good. and he says that central banks have effectively lost their independence because they've, begun, they've been given little choice but to monetize massive fiscal deficits to forestall a debt crisis. Now, that part I agree with. Now, the bigger question is how long can they go about it? And I will say, and he doesn't speak about this, is where is the, uh, the release valve? And the release valve is really in the currency. Is currency prices falling? Uh, in this case, it would likely be the U.S. dollar. That's why you're seeing uh, crypto do fairly well. Now that's going to go through fits and starts. You're seeing a bit of strength in the dollar recently, uh, but what he speaks about is debt, and private and public debt have soared, and that we're in a debt trap. And in a lot of ways, we are. Uh, but there are a lot of there's a lot of power in governments, and they can do a lot to forestall this for years, if not decades. So understand that. Uh, and, and and thing biggest thing I, I I disagree with is that he thinks it will s- that when inflation gets out of control, the Fed's going to have to raise rates or tighten policy, and that's going to trigger a debt crisis. And I just don't see those two things as uh, realistic. You're you're not going to suddenly go from massive inflation to sudden massive deflation. It, it just doesn't work like that. Okay. Uh, You can't get an economy that is contracting so dramatically uh, and have just runaway inflation unless there is true supply shocks. You'd really have to get consistent supply shocks based on government policy. And I just don't see the governments uh, allowing that because guess what? The governments want... Uh, steady consistent inflation they don't want it to be out of control yes they would want it to be over two three four percent but not ten percent and that's basically what he's saying is that you're going to get some cascading inflation and i just see the the government has a lot more control over the system nowadays and i don't see anything like that just the see an environment where inflation is going to continue to tick up and that's going to have Uh, various effects but to combine that with a debt crisis uh, especially on the private scale where we get some sort of 07, 08 uh, crisis like that I just don't see that happening now the next invest talk this story mortgage applications have dropped to their lowest level since before the pandemic hit the triggering factors include higher home prices and an insufficient housing supply and higher average loan amounts so what happens next that story tomorrow, but for now I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 99 chart.
4: Now is a good time to call Invest Talk.
2: I'm calling to ask you an opinion on
4: an ETF called XLI. What's your question? Eight 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 ninety nine chart. Thank you as always for all that you do.
0: Of all the finance and investing podcasts, and all the downloads, and all the world. You've discovered Invest Talk. At this time, do you think it would be better to keep it in this bond or move it to cash?
3: Looks like the sector is down today. So just thinking about, you know, potentially buying the dip.
0: And since Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to answering your questions with their unique blend of expert insight and unbiased guidance, you've got to ask yourself one question. Why haven't you called Invest Talk? Hey, it's James from Australia. I'm loving the podcast. You know you listen. You know you should call. You know you want to call. Um, so I was wondering the best options for long-term growth. You'll get a reliable answer and the same positive feeling that tens of thousands of Invest Talk callers have already experienced. Thank you so much. I love the show. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
1: Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin. I have a question regarding PMI. In 2019, I bought a house for $300,000, well, 5% down. I am paying $125 each month for PMI. Currently, I owe the bank around $275,000. My agent sent me a CMA report for my area and I see houses with similar comps selling between $350,000 to $400,000. I did some calculation and learned that if my house is valued around $350,000 to $400,000, I would have around 21 to 30% in equity. Can I just tell my lender that and get rid of PMI? Is there any fees associated with this? Another thing is that after living there for a year, I rented the house out. Will this PMI removal affect my interest rate, or will I need more than 20% to get rid of PMI now? I know that investment properties require 25% down. i love you show, listen to each episode.
2: Uh, It's a great question, and the answer would be, depends on your loan, your lender. You may be able to get that removed with an, an appraisal. I would talk to them, but most likely you're going to have to refinance, and maybe... Uh, refinancing makes sense anyway. Maybe interest rates are, are down since uh, the last time you, you financed your home and you're going to be able to get a better rate. So I would definitely shop around for a better rate and try to get off that PMI because uh, that's that's definitely the first thing uh, anybody with uh, private mortgage insurance is going to try to do or, or should try to do is to refinance to a level to where they have 20% equity And don't have to pay that PMI. So I would be looking into that ASAP, especially because you want to take advantage of these high mortgage rates or or, or prone prices, excuse me. And because six months from now, nine months from now, a year from now, you don't know what what those prices are going to be. So if you could, you can refinance now and get get an appraisal that shows that you have 20% equity this is the time to do it. You want to get that uh, in right now as soon as possible. So great question and glad you're looking into it and hopefully you can get rid of that PMI. Let's keep things moving and go back to the Talk Voice Bank question for a question that came in earlier on eight eighty eight ninety nine chart
3: Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Owen calling from Northern California. In these last couple weeks, with the small return of growth stocks and, you know, more electronic orientated stocks my portfolio has not been doing wonderfully as I have none of these such stocks and I was looking at maybe getting a couple more growth stocks or electronic stocks and I was looking at these two stocks Sony Group Corporation ticker symbol S O N Y and Motorola Solutions, ticker symbol MSI. And I was wondering which of these two you think would be a safer and a better long-term investment. Thank you, and I will listen on the podcast.
2: All right. Looking at Motorola Solutions and Sony. Now, Sony is going to be probably the safer play. Let's just say that. Uh, it's a larger company company. Uh, fairly diversified revenue stream. Uh, definitely a better value today than Motorola Solutions. So I I would go with Sony. Now, technically, right now, Motorola has a stronger chart. It, its business is growing uh, nicely. And it looks like, is it faster? Actually, Sony looks like it's growing faster. Um, you know, Motorola is paying a 1.3% dividend. Earnings are supposed to be up 14% this year, 11% next year, whereas Sony earnings expect to be down 34% this year, but back up 13% next year. $124 billion market cap for Sony. Um, Motorola, only about $38 billion. Uh, but the multiples that Motorola is trading at is just uh, are very high, uh, 28 times earnings, even if you go by next year's earnings. Expectations, you're still talking about 25, 26 times earnings, whereas Sony is trading at, mm, let's see, about 15 times next year's earnings. So Sony is the name that would be safer. Uh, but once again, Motorola has the stronger chart and in the near term, Will probably perform better. This is Invest Talk. We have now surpassed the 33 million cumulative download number. Steve Peasley and I thank you for your loyalty and telling your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. So let's take another question. This makes it three in a row. Hi, my name is Lee, and I really enjoy your program and the advice that you give. My question is specifically related
3: to the wash sale rule. If you have a covered call, it gets called away on a company can you turn around and buy that company's shares back again if they're called away through options or does the wash sale rule still apply thank you and i'll hang up and listen
2: well the wash sale rule still does apply okay and but that only Matters if you have had it called away at a loss. For example, you might have bought a stock for $52. Maybe it went down. You sold a $50 call. It gets called away. So effectively, you bought a 52 sold it for 50, uh, $50. You had a small loss there. If you go buy that back, you can't take it within 30 days. You can't take that loss. Okay? So understand those dynamics. So if you have a gain of any kind, then the wash sale rule doesn't really matter. One thing you have to understand and most people do not understand with cover calls is just because it's in the money, just because you uh, sold a 50 to strike and now it's at 55 and it's about to expire, you do not have to allow it to expire and have your chairs called away. Buy back the call. Then you don't have to worry about a wash sale rule, the taxes. You still hold the underlying. You might have lost a little bit on the call option where you sold it for maybe a $2 premium. You have to buy it back for $5 because it's $5 in the money. You've lost a little bit of money, but you made that up uh, in the uh, in the appreciation of the, the stock. So you don't have to because you sold a, 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 an option or bought an option. Remember, you do not have to wait and probably shouldn't wait. Until expiration, you should even you should, if you have a covered call, you should probably roll that out if you want to continue to get premiums. Meaning, for example, in our covered call strategy right now, we uh, there is a lot, some expirations in July where they expire in the third Friday. Remember that the main option expiration is the third Friday of every month, so that would be next Friday. Right now, we're rolling a lot of those out to August, getting more premium, maybe changing the strike price a bit, and buying it back buying back the Julys for a lot less typically than with the premium that we purchased or so the premium that we received initially and but we're getting more premium going out to August and that's typically what a covered call strategy is it's rolling those consistently over time all right so don't get caught up in the wash rule with the cover call you can always buy back the option and make sure that is something you should consider now summer is well underway the year is already past the halfway mark and we're into the third quarter and you're likely to see higher levels of volatility in the back half of the year as stimulus wears off as the economy slows a bit but I think it's worth taking a minute to inform you that Steve Peasley and I do offer free portfolio review assessments via telephone or go to meetings you can set up a, a meeting with us uh, all online. Just send us a message through investtalk.com. We will send you a link to our calendar. You can pick a date, time that works best for you. We'll jump on a phone call, video chat, and go over your particular pos- uh, situation, your, your goals, your strategy, figure out whether you're in the right position or maybe you need to make some changes, whether that is doing it on your own, having somebody like us do it. It's really up to you. But Going over the pros and cons of your various options can oftentimes be helpful in making the right decision. So, if you want to send us a message through investtalk.com, you can, or call our KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California at 800 557 5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Now, next up, we have another voice bank question. This time it concerns saving for retirement. That coming next on Invest Talk.
0: If you enjoyed listening to Invest Talk, You can help support our programming by giving us your vote of confidence, a five-star rating. When you review and rate InvestTalk with five stars, you raise our profile and help others discover the free InvestTalk podcasts. And we thank you by moving your questions to the top of the list queue. Just include a brief question with your five-star comments. So download, review, rate, and don't forget to call. Invest Talk, eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hi,
3: Steve, Justin. This is Mark from Pennsylvania. Been enjoying the show, and I have a non-stock question. I'm in my mid thirties and have been pretty burnout at work. So over the past couple of years of realizing that, I've started saving about fifty percent of my income and aiming to quit in the ten to fifteen years. Now I have about four times my income saved right now, invested in some broad market funds, and individual stocks, mostly the names like Amazon, AMD, and GM. So I'm kind of looking at pretty decent gains and continued savings. I think I can quit in 10 to 15 years with 20 or 25 times my annual spending save. can start pulling out some of the money from Roth 401ks, the 457 brokerage funds, and an HSA to cover health insurance with a much lower income job. So my question is, especially since Steve retired previously before coming back into the workforce, what else should I be thinking about and looking at? Is the goal worth the effort, or am I misguided? And is that realistic to to think that that might be something in my future? So thanks, I'll be listening in on the podcast.
2: Great question, and glad you have you gotten the first part, most important part, down. That is saving consistently, You're saving 50% of your earnings. That is fantastic. So. Uh, I like your goal 20 to 25% of your annual expenses. That is a good goal. That uh, will bring you kind of to that 4% rule now. Uh, that's a general rule and everyone's situation is a little bit different. You know, what are you going to do in retirement? Uh, are you going to work part time? And that's really the most important thing you're missing is what are you going to do with your time? And, and, uh, you, you mentioned how Steve retired relative er, relatively early and he did, he did retire in his uh, mid forties after being in the insurance industry for 20, 25 years. And, and it's kind of same thing. Didn't, didn't want to do that anymore. And wanted to do something he liked. Uh, and I'll give you a quick backstory of him. Uh, he was my well, he was a KPP client back in the 90s with uh, my grandpa, grandpa, grandfather running the the, the company. And he, Steve kept half of his money, and my grandpa kept half of his money. And my grandpa uh, KPP consistently did a bit better. Um, and he wanted to know why. He came in. He interned uh, basically as a retired 40-something-year-old. And wanted to learn and eventually bought part of the business and and the rest is history. But he ended up going into or spending his time doing something he really wanted to do as opposed to uh, what he had to do. And that sounds like what what, what you're looking at. So uh, a lot of times that can mean bringing in some income with that thing you would like to do maybe that's teaching music or teaching dance or teaching art or something that you're a bit more passionate about than the job that pays you the most and so fine-tuning that uh, that 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 potential income and that time that you are going to spend and for Steve he likes he likes to garden he's in his backyard planting trees and, and things like that but he realized after a month that that couldn't really fill the rest of his life, it was, it was something that he can do on the side. Um, and so having multiple hobbies to kind of sustain yourself and keeping yourself uh, motivated and, and having goals when you get up is very important. Not just the money side. It's really the final financial freedom mantra, which is do what you love to do, what you want to do, as opposed to what you have to do. And that's really what financial freedom is. Retirement, I think, is a kind of a tired tired work because what does that even mean and it means something different for everybody uh and so i like what you're doing but you definitely need to hone in on what those after work activities are going to be now i think we can squeeze in another question before the next break so let's play it now
1: hi i love the show got a question for you regarding the performance any fund, like a mutual fund or ETF, when you look at the performance, there is three months, six months, one year, and there is always a dividend information. I'm just wondering whether the dividend has been incorporated into the fund performance already, or... When evaluated the fund, I need to add in the dividend information on top of the performance information. That is my question. Thank you. Bye bye.
2: Right, that's a great question because when you're looking at most equity or bond assets, you're you're and you're looking at performance. Uh, there's going to be some level of income as a proportion of that and that typically is calculated as part of that okay so when you're looking at some performance figures I- income is uh, and a price appreciation are the components that make up that total investment return so if you're looking at an etf or mutual fund that should be included uh so so uh but but it's a good question and when you're looking at those returns three months six months make sure you're looking farther back Uh, a three or six month return is almost irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. It's a, it's a short period of time. Uh, You can, you know, equities are good over the past six months. Does that mean that uh, the SP was up 17% is up 17% year to date? Does that mean that that's exactly what you should expect for every six month period? No, you shouldn't. Uh, So make sure you're looking back five years, 10 years uh, and, and, Hopefully, twenty plus years because you want to look through recessions as well in different types of market environments. But great question. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it now at eight 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 ninety nine chart. This is
0: Invest Talk.
3: Hi, Steve and Justin. It's Jordan calling from Claremont. I have a question about the Pershing Square's Taunton Holdings PSTH recently announced deal that they made with Universal Music Group and various other aspects of how that SPAC will be divided up. I was wondering if uh, you might have any insights or a clear explanation because what's out there right now is fairly confusing. Thank you very much. Bye.
2: Well, this is the nature of SPACs. They are, in a lot of ways, complex vehicles that buy complex companies. Sometimes they're straightforward. Sometimes they, uh, the transactions are uh, very opaque. Uh, they're hard to understand what assets they're actually buying. It looks like in this case they're buying uh, tempers- they're acquiring ten percent of Universal Music Group. For about four billion dollars from French media company Vivendi, and that's a—that's a question. They're just—they're just, they're just uh, owning part of the business, and they don't much have to control when they have ten percent of the company. And I would really have to dig into this. It's hard for me to say what this really means. Uh, because they are pretty complex, and you really have to dig into to the details. And I, I frankly, I haven't done that yet. Uh, there's probably more for them to do. Uh, they still have it looks like 1.5 billion in cash uh, and uh, access to another 1.4 billion uh, from other Pershing Square funds that they can use to buy more assets. So it doesn't look like they're done. Uh, now, technically I will say the chart looks poor uh, it peaked around around 33 34 dollars a share now it's at 22 and uh, looks to be breaking its, uh, its listing price which was around 21 dollars so this is not a name that I would be I would get excited about from a technical perspective and I'd really have to understand the deals and the structure of the the uh, of the business to really buy into it um, but I don't know it And that's why I can't give you any advice. Now, looking at the clock, I can see we have time for one more question. So let's play a recording from Listener in Iowa on 88.99 chart
3: Hey, guys. This is Travis from Iowa. I hear you guys talk about positions that are about 3% to 5% when you have stock in companies. But I was curious what your thoughts are on how much to hold as a cash position. And then I have another question about when you guys talk about pullbacks and you say wait for this price point, Is there any sort of time length that you want to wait for that, or is it just at all costs, buy it at that price? Love to hear your answer. I listen on the podcast. Thank you.
2: Well, when I talk about pullbacks, uh, remember, that's technical. Uh, It's a technical chart level. And charting is definitely more uh, an art than a science. And there are patterns and strategies that uh, you learn over time. There are cycles to markets, there are cycles to individual companies, and a uh, a way to target particular support levels doesn't mean it has to get to that support level, and maybe it just chops sideways and consolidates and never gets down to that support level, and that's often uh, the case as well. So there are, Uh, time considerations where hey, it just just never got there and uh, it's burned enough time consolidating that it's likely to move higher versus lower and yes, there are some considerations there now when it comes to cash, it has a lot more to do with your overall asset allocation goal are you trying to be more conservative or less conservative so I can't really say this is the right cash level or that's the right cash level your cash level, first off, should be to cover uh, about three to four months of living expenses And then within your portfolio, it's more about are you trying to be more or less aggressive? And do you have a plan for that cash? Uh, Is that cash going to be deployed on an equity market pullback? Uh, How much does that have to be, et cetera? So don't just have cash to have cash, but have a plan for it. Uh, and that's the most important factor uh, when it comes to any asset allocation. It's having a plan. Don't just have a certain amount of equities because you think you're supposed to have equities. Have a plan for that equity allocation. When should it be higher? When should it be lower? When should cash be higher and lower? Okay. So understand that that's where you have to start from a high level and then work on down. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family. Our free podcast downloads, which they can find over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to review and rate. And if you leave a five star rating, it will help us raise our profile and help spread the word about Invest Talk. And if you include a question in that five star rating, we will put you at the top of the queue for your question to be answered. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.